Well, hello everyone, and you join us here today to talk about probably my favourite watch and brand at Watches and Wonders this year. Any prizes for guessing what that might be, Tom? Cyrus? <laughs> uh, cl- cl- no, not close at all. Absolutely nowhere near. I'm talking, of course, about uh, Grand Seiko, who, as usual, have come to the show and blown everyone away. I think this might be the first time we've seen them at Watches and Wonders, so very nice to have them along. And I'll have, I have to say, Tom, there's a certain satisfaction to being presented something by a group of very well-appointed Japanese businessmen that really made me feel like I've made it in my life. <laughs> True. And as I recall, it was the, uh, the only presentation which got a smattering of applause afterwards as well. <laughs> An incredibly polite <laughs> smattering of, of applause. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was the first presentation that we had and the first watch that we saw was probably my favourite of the entire show. So really uh, a way to start on a high and everything else be slightly disappointing by comparison. But we'll get to that particular watch last because Grand Seiko didn't turn up with just one thing. They turned up with many, uh, starting with the Evolution 9 collection. This is a uh, collection of five watches that are all powered by spring drive that are all very, very sporty. We've got two GMTs. We've got two revised chronographs, and we've got a dive watch. Uh, it's good to see the new new GMT shape. Looks rather smart. Forty millimeters, sorry, forty-one millimeters. So kind of similar to uh, your, your latest Rolex Submariner. Uh, nice snowflakey kind of dials, black and white. The chronograph as well still has that awkward dial, but is perhaps a little bit more attractive overall. Uh, getting up there in size again, 45.3 millimetres, and the diver, of course, they don't seem to know how to make a wearable diver, and it's 43.8 millimetres. Oh, it's a shame, because that diver's really cool. I really like that ocean wave texture on the dial. Um, but yeah, it's massive, isn't it? But Yeah. Just for looking, it's real nice. Yeah, nothing particularly groundbreaking here, but just five really attractive-looking watches to add to uh, the sporty spring drive collection. There was also some sneaky white birch refinements as well, which they're sort of labelling as new. What? Um, so yeah, th- so there's a green birch now as well, um, a greeny blue dialed white birch texture. Um, you can't call it white birch, can you? Yeah, greeny <laughs> blue birch. Um, uh, and another one, well, yeah, so they're labelling these as new. So I believe um, the Evolution 9 is encompassing a, a refinement over all these these watches they're all getting little sort of style tweaks um i'm so confused yeah right so yeah i was confused as well this is what i thought they were saying i've sort of looked into it so basically i think there's there's, there's these three principles that they're following evolution in aesthetics legibility and wearing comfort right and so i think um these two birches have undergone a little bit of tweaks mainly bracelet width, a lower centre of gravity in the watch case and a stable bracelet with just the right thickness. Um, So I'm not sure if it's just these two first and then the rest will follow or if that's it. I'm not sure. Um, Well, I'm just looking at these extra collections and you've got the SLGH005, the white birch with the 36,000 VPH movement, which we saw last year or so. And saying new is the SLGA009, which on the face of it looks like the white birch, but with a spring drive movement, but the the dimensions are slightly different. The crown is slightly wider on the spring drive version. I'm, why? Grand Seiko, are you noodling? 
Are you? <laughs> Stop it. Yes. So now you've got two almost identical white birches, but not quite. I mean, the, the, the big struggle I have with Grand Seiko isn't that their watches aren't attractive. It isn't that their watches aren't well made. It's the fact that you go onto their page and you are inundated with a whole bunch of watches that look kind of similar, kind of different, and it's overwhelming. It's the, it's the paradox of choice. There are so many things to pick from that look very, very similar. And if they were to take a leaf out of, dare I say it, Rolex's book, it's really about pairing that back, making the choices easier, funneling customers. They go, I like this style. Now I go into that style and now I pick which size I'd like or which movement I'd like, rather than just throwing everything at you at once and making it so confusing. Because otherwise, there are some really great looking watches. Those GMTs in the Evolution 9 collection that have just come out look great, look really, really nice but I'm just so overwhelmed by it. And title your pieces as well. <laughs> yeah. SBGC249 is not catchy. No, that's the name of a droid, not a watch. Like, I'm against nicknames, but let's let's meet halfway and yeah. White Birch, that's good. I can picture that. You've ruined it by making another one that's slightly different. And doesn't have a title. There's no mention of any kind of Birch. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, title your pieces or we will do it for you and it will be some form of soft drink. <laughs> well, uh, moving on from that mess of a selection of probably very nice watches, but I don't have it in me to find out, onto a watch that uh, brings it all down to a, a single piece, limited to just five. This is the White Lion. Uh, advertised with a desaturated picture of a lion, no doubt. Uh, I'm just, do, do white lions actually exist? I'm not sure. Um, I think they do, but I don't think they're healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Kill me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I bet they get sunburnt very easily and should probably stay indoors. Uh, but this this white lion, uh, perhaps not quite the abomination of the animal it's named after, platinum, 267 diamonds, 26 black spinels, uh, it gets the incredibly fancy uh, and, and very well-finished Calibre 9R01, which is finished by the Micro Artist Studio, one of the, the best finishing houses in the world. Uh, did I say it was 44.5 millimetres across? This thing is huge! Big as a lion. <laughs> as big as a lion and uh, twice as useless. I'm not it's sure... It's not big enough to swing a Grand Seiko white lion in here, will be the new phrase. <laughs> I'm not sure who this is for. I mean, it's a work of art, surely. It, it looks unlike anything um, I've seen come out from any other watchmaker. You've got those sort of integrated lugs that roll very faceted and angular into the straps. They look just like cat's ears. Is that is that what that's supposed to be? That, well, that was my takeaway from it. Fair enough. Cat's ears and cat's fangs, perhaps, at the other end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then that lovely texture dial surrounded by diamonds of various different shapes and sizes. I mean, it's, it's surely a beautiful thing to look at. Massive hands. Look at that. Our hand. It's enormous. Got a big hole in it. It's like a sword. But they're only making five, so it's not like they have to find too many people who are liking the looks of it. And yeah, it's, it's great to see Grand Seiko making stuff, even if it does take a little bit of looking at to try and warm up to. Certainly interesting, certainly not boring. Diamond encrusted jewellery piece for someone. For, for someone. If you are that someone, uh, let us know. We'd love to know your motivation behind buying this piece. And perhaps what other pieces you have in your collection, because I don't think this is an only watch, do you, Tom? No, no, no. This is the uh, dress watch of the trophy wife of a Yakuza boss. (laughs) 
to be worn only once. But really, uh, as we alluded to at the start, the star of the show for Grand Seiko, and perhaps for the entirety of Watches and Wonders, is the one and only, the masterpiece, the Kodo Constant Force Torbion. So we saw the the T-Zero concept caliber being teased a year or so back. We knew they were working on a Constant Force Torbion. I kind of thought it might never see the light of day because it was just so wild for Grand Seiko. Mm-hmm. But here it is. What was your what was your hot take on it? Uh, yeah, I love the beauty of the design. I think the intricacy is amazing. And with Grand Seiko finishing all over the place, it looks incredible. My one small criticism of it was the, the I wasn't quite sure about the lugs. They've got this open space and this tiny gap in there. But the more I look at it, actually, the more I appreciate it. I kind of feel like it's sort of the component, all the components of the actual um, movement seem to sort of carry through to the case. Like the, those lugs feel like their own sort of separate enlarged components. So even that's won me round. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'd even notice those holes because it's a very busy watch. It's You see straight through it, you see every single part. Mm. Uh, and it looks very modern and sculptural in that respect. And I guess the, the lugs carry that through. It's not a small watch at 43.8 millimetres, nearly 13 millimetres thick. Uh, but all that open space and, and really quite a skinny bezel don't make it feel too big. No, I didn't think it, when I was handed it, I didn't feel like, oh... Whew, that's a big boy. It didn't really feel like that at all. Let me hit you up with some stats. This is powered by the Caliber 9S T1, which is a constant force tourbillon, as alluded to by the title. There are 340 components. In order to make this thing work, I don't know if you're familiar with constant force, Tom. Have you heard of that before? Uh, I've heard of it, yeah, oh, absolutely. I know it's something to do with beats and springs not unravelling too quickly, something like that. <laughs> In a very basic sense, yes, you're right. <laughs> so the, the big problem with a, a watch powered by a spring is that when you wind a spring up, it doesn't unravel with the same force all the way through. Like if you think about winding up some of those chattering teeth and you put them on the table, at first they go, nah, 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 they go crazy, don't they? And then as the spring unwinds, they slow down a bit until they finally stop. And it gets to the point where they've completely stopped and you lift them up and they go a little bit more. They don't have enough torque to continue running. And it's the same for a watch. So you can imagine if it starts off with all of this torque and then gradually powers down, that's going to affect the timing. Yeah, for sure. The timing will, uh, will will change in its accuracy over that period. And so what watchmakers have intended to do over many, many years is approach that problem with constant force mechanisms. So the Fusion chain is one approach to the constant force problem, whereby you use a set of ever-changing, infinitely changing gears and a chain to compensate the lack of torque by making the movement easier to drive. But that's a very bulky solution. Um, and so what what a Grand Seiko has done here is to uh, input a, basically a preloading system that will wait and wait and wait until the torque that's being built up reaches the point that's required to advance the movement forwards and then it allows it to tick. So what you get from that is like a deadbeat seconds complication. So at first it doesn't take much to fill that up and it ticks, but after uh, a number of hours it takes more torque to fill up and it ticks and times that one tick per second. 
But what's really impressive what they've done here is they've taken that constant force mechanism. We've seen IWC do a similar thing with a separate constant force mechanism and insert it within the tourbillon cage itself. So you have three uh, elements moving in one axis. You've got the balance wheel itself, you've got the constant force mechanism and you've got the tourbillon. So say that again, I was just thinking about chattering teeth. <laughs> You'll have to rewind the podcast and listen to it over. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, it's a hell of a movement. And um, yeah, my favourite thing is that ruby, that ruby seconds hand on the uh, the bridge of the tourbillon. Lovely stuff. Oh yeah, that's that's really nice. That, that serves as the, the second hand indicator, doesn't it? And carries through, because you see a lot of jewels. It's very monochromatic, aside from the rubies that you see. And it carries that theme through quite nicely, catches the eye so you can read the seconds in what is otherwise a very busy, busy movement. And what's interesting as well, so this is Koda, which is Japanese for heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Grand Seiko seemed to make special mention about the sound it makes. Now, I, I didn't, I don't remember, recall them saying this at the time, and I certainly didn't hear it under the hubbub of the convention, but um, they say that the sound of the escapement and of the once per second impulse of the constant force mechanism harmonise with this regular visual rhythm to create for both the eye and the ear a deeply satisfying and reassuring heartbeat. It's news to me. There is a powerful yet gentle charm to the sound that is set to a 16th note or semi-quaver which is made possible by the 9ST1 being the movement with the highest frequency. Um, That's very Grand Seiko, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, do you think that that was actually considered? Like, the, <laughs> you know, the heartbeat, you know, they wanted that heartbeat kind of in there, or do you think they named it afterwards and the sound is just a byproduct that they didn't really account for but was quite nice? <laughs> yeah, I think there's some modern art shenanigans going on here. They all gathered around the table and, speechless for a moment, one of them said, sounds like a heartbeat. And they were like, yeah, called it. Yeah, called it. Um well, fascinating. Uh, so you get, with the constant force mechanism, you get 50 hours of constant force power reserve, but you get 72 hours overall, so it'll run you through a weekend. Sadly, though, there is only 20 being made, and no doubt they will be incredibly expensive. Mm. Um, this is the first effort of the watchmakers at the new Jinza studio, which is their new very, very high-end house for making incredible watches. And it just so happens to be the studio where Kintaro Hattori first founded Seiko back in 1881. It's a new, it's a new era for Grand Seiko for sure. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because um, you and I had a conversation uh, for an upcoming podcast where we talked about um, a collection of Seiko watches and how some of those Seiko prices are creeping up to sort of meet Grand Seiko prices, and the, the lines are getting blurry between those two brands. Yeah. And we were wondering what was going on there. And I think, you know, is this maybe what Grand Seiko's doing? They're sort of, go- they're going to push even further up and they're going to start dabbling with grand complications like this. And, and you know, they won't be competing with Rolex anymore. They'll start to compete with Patek and FP Jean and brands like that. What do you reckon? Do you know, I, I, think you're, I think you're very, very on the money there. This is properly high-end, like Uterologie, as they would say in, uh, in Switzerland, to compete with the very best. But this 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 is uh, limitless watchmaking from Grand Seiko, and I just I cannot wait to see where it's going to go next. Um, yeah, really exciting. We'll say just noticed there is a power reserve on the dial, so whole thing is ruined. Never mind. Ah, oh, classic. <laughs> That's how you know it's a Grand Seiko. Absolutely. Um, but I mean. 
that really was the star for the show. I don't know about you, dear viewer and listener, but let us know what your thoughts are on this watch and where you think Grand Seiko is going with this particular direction. And um, until next time, I suppose, please do subscribe if you're enjoying these this format of show and um, let us know in the comments what you'd like to see us talk about next. See you later. Bye. Bye. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.